This is Bible Chat. Good morning, guys, and welcome to Bible Chat. Uh, I'm your host, Caleb Sowers, and man, I'm just really excited today uh, to be doing a whole new episode, episode four already. It seems like it's going pretty quick. Uh, I'm running out of content, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, things have been going really good on the website. I'm seeing a lot more interaction. I can't believe it, but I want to take a moment to thank you guys, actually. On Facebook, we're already pushing 100 likes. I think we're sitting right now at 95 or 96, and I just, I can't believe it. uh, I'm so happy to just have um, so many people following along, so many people that seem to be enjoying the show, and, um, you know, that just, it really means so much to me. Um, I'm really blown away by it. you know, I'll, I'll give the context now and again at the end of the show, but, you know, don't be shy, guys. If, if you're listening and you're enjoying the show, go ahead and reach out on the Facebook page there on any of the posts. I've been trying to kind of shake up some of the posts there, um, doing more than just quotes, but also news articles, um, book recommendations, things like that. And um, that's been going pretty well. Also, you can contact me through email at BibleChat podcast 84 at gmail.com and if you're really enjoying the show go ahead and you can reach out on patreon as well there's some tears there if you feel so moved to to give if not that's okay completely but uh, anything is appreciated and um well i guess without further ado let's dive into the show uh this week i wanted to take a look at judas iscariot um you know, you guys voted a couple weeks ago on uh, what the content would be for the next few episodes. Um, and you guys picked Bible characters. And me being me, I can't go with the real easy stuff. Like, I, you know, you, or I guess it's, none of it's easy. There's more to learn from all of them. But uh, I didn't want to go with the obvious choices of people like Moses or David who everybody does. Uh, I wanted to do something that would be, I guess, a little bit unique. And so last week we looked at Jonah and um, and just sort of the, the ways that his character kind of relates to, our, uh, to us today. And then I wanted to do the same thing with Judas. Uh, Judas, Judas is a little bit tricky. Um, as Christians, we sometimes tend to do a disservice to the people in the Bible. I mean, we sometimes tend to read them over like characters in a story, uh, not as actual people with a history, with with a background, with an upbringing. Uh, you know, these were real people with emotions, with motivations, and so often we just read them as flat characters in text. In doing this, 
they end up coming out as, you know, just one-dimensional beings, black or white, good or evil. We cheapen them. And in doing so, we lose context a lot of times, and that makes us lose something as well as the reader. I mean, we lose the deeper context, the reason that they're even in the Bible. You know, there's two people, and I, and I was really tempted to go either direction, but there's two people in the Bible that have kind of gotten the worst side of that treatment. Um, one is Judas, of course, who is who I'm talking about today. And the other is Pilate. Now, I wish I had enough time to go into both of them this morning, but since I don't, we're just going to take a look at Judas for now. Uh, so often when we read or teach the Gospels, we immediately identify Judas as the bad guy. Uh, a couple of the uh, the Gospel writers even did so. And so no matter what's going on in a given story, we, re we read over his part and just keep going because we already know what he's going to do. Judas's name has become synonymous with betrayal. Uh, even in a world that's moved so far from Christianity, nobody's naming their kid Judas. I mean, can you even imagine that? Someone introducing their kids, you know, here's little Allie, Tommy, Jack, and here's little Judas. He's so cute, isn't he? Well, of course that doesn't happen. In the epic poem Dante's Inferno, Judas is condemned to the ninth circle of hell, where he's slowly ground in the devil's teeth for all of eternity. I mean, all of history, Christian and non-Christian alike, it seems we've all passed judgment on Judas Iscariot. But what I want to take the time to do this morning is not just look at him and decide whether or not Judas was a good guy or a bad guy, but look at him as who he was. And then there's a few chances he has to go different directions, different choices in his life. And and I think those choices kind of relate to us today. So, who was Judas Iscariot? Many scholars believe that the name Judas Iscariot is the Greek form of Judah Sicariot, or Judah the Sicari. The Sicari were associated with the zealots in the Bible. Uh, if you remember, actually, there's another disciple who is a zealot, and Simon the zealot. Um, and, in fact, this may mean that Judas knew Simon before Ju Jesus even called them, much like Peter, James, and John knew each other. The zealots were defenders of the Jewish law and of the national identity of the Jewish people. They opposed the Roman occupation of Israel. Their purpose was to rebel against the Roman Empire and expel it by force. This is what made them different from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They refused to pay tribute to the Romans because they felt it was a violation of the principle that God was the only king of Israel. They also expressed their dislike of Roman rule by violently targeting the Romans and Greeks. This was the difference between a zealot and a Sicarii, the difference between Simon and Judas. See, Sicarii means dagger man. Zealots would sometimes raid Jewish habitations and kill those they, they considered apostate or collaborators with Rome, but Sicarii bore the name Sicari from their custom of carrying Roman daggers hidden beneath their cloaks. 
They would use such weapons to stab anyone found committing a sacrilegious act or anything provoking anti-Jewish feeling. While the Zealots may have been a militant religious order, the Sicarii were the assassins of the Zealot sect. So, I know what a lot of you guys are probably thinking. I mean, he's an assassin. He's a dagger man. How is, you know, that's not going to make us like him anymore. But, just take a breath. Consider this. There were probably no two disciples that were more ready for Jesus' arrival than Simon and Judas. I mean, these two, they were actively looking for the Messiah to return, to bring his kingdom, and to restore Israel. They knew the Messianic scriptures better than anybody. They would have been good practicing Jews, and they would have been eager to follow Jesus, more so probably than any of the others. I mean, I believe that Judas, at least in the beginning, was eager to follow and learn about Jesus. In John chapter 12, we find out that Judas carried the money bag. He was the group's treasurer. As the treasurer for the disciples, he may have displayed, he had to have <laughs> displayed some positive characteristics. This office isn't something that was just given to someone if they were thought of as greedy were irresponsible, and especially at first. It was a respected position, and it probably indicates the degree of esteem in which he was held by the other disciples. We have to remember that the Gospels were not written as things were happening. They were written after, while the disciples were looking back, after the apostles had started their own ministries. And so, you know, you see early in Matthew, the author identifies Judas as the betrayer. In John 12, the author mentions that Judas stole from the bag, but he didn't start out as the betrayer. He didn't always steal from the bag because he was chosen for the job. Judas started off a lot like we do. He was on fire. He was ready to follow Jesus. He was sold out. But a time came where he had to make a decision, and obviously we know how he chose. I wanted to take a minute and read out of Matthew chapter 26. And if you want to follow along, that's great. We're going to start in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster box of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And so they weighed out thirty pieces of silver for him. And from that time on, 
he started looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas's relationship with Jesus really is a lot more complex than we normally give credence to. You see, we know from Psalm 41 that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. And then Jesus reiterates this in John 15. He says, no longer will I call you servants, but I have called you friends. And Judas was there. Judas was a friend of Jesus. We forget because we get so wrapped up in kind of the broad strokes of the Gospels that Judas had preached. He had cast out demons. He had healed. He was there feeding the multitudes all right alongside the other disciples. I honestly think Judas had believed Jesus was the Messiah. After witnessing the miracles, after hearing the preaching, after seeing all that he had, Judas believed at least as much as any other. But something had changed. <clears throat> the way that this scripture here in Matthew 26 is phrased has led many scholars to believe that this was the point where Judas decided to betray Jesus. That after hearing from Jesus' own mouth that he would die, that no promised kingdom was forthcoming, Judas decided Jesus was just another false messiah. See, there had been many before him. And if you study history, you'll know that there were many after. And Judas chalked Jesus up as just one of many. I mean, whether or not this is true, this is the similarity we see in many Christians today. You see, for Judas, whatever his personal reasoning may have been, he decided to betray Jesus because Jesus just wasn't enough. Not for him. Judas had put his own desires above that of Christ's. He had a specific vision of what the Messiah was going to do, what he would accomplish, what he would allow and not allow. And after three and a half years, Judas had come to a fork in the road. And that sounds a lot like us. I mean, we always start off so well. I know I was raised in church and I wasn't saved until I was 16, but I took off from there. I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was preaching, I was going to church three times a week. Man, I was tithing. Things were going really well. And that's what was happening with Judas. He was casting out demons. He was healing the sick and the blind. He was preaching, praying, following. But a time came when Jesus just wasn't enough for me. I started to wander away from the church. Things started to get dull. I started to look elsewhere. And, you know, I'm lucky. I didn't fall into addiction. But I did play a little bit with alcohol, with smoking. I started to sleep in on Sundays. I started blowing money on things that I'd rather have rather than tithe. And the whole problem was that the scales had shifted in my spirit. And that's, that's what Judas experienced as well. I mean, we look at the story of Judas, and we sit there and we pass judgment. 
You know, we all ask, how could he do it? How could he betray Jesus? And for 30 pieces of silver. But this is how. Jesus simply wasn't what he was looking for. He wasn't what he was interested in anymore. He wanted something else. You know, I look at the world today. Even here in Ohio where I live, and I see the proof that the majority of what passes for Christianity shares this characteristic with Judas. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know, God's supposed to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? The same God that flooded the earth is the same God that called Israel out of Egypt. The same God that held the sun in place for Joshua is the same God that shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel. The same God that rained down the pillar of fire for Elijah is the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same God that Jesus ascended to is the same God that empowered the apostles to completely turn the world upside down. That same God dwells inside you and me if we're Christians. And so why is it that we as a church are so impotent in the world today? Jesus promised us that we would do far greater things than he did. He promised us, and he can't lie. The problem isn't that God has changed. The problem is not that the gospel is ineffective. The Bible promises that the word of God does not return void, is not powerless. No, the Bible, the gospel, God, they're not ineffective. No, we are. The Bible says that a person cannot serve two masters. My pastor says it a little differently. He says that your heart has a throne, not a love seat. Only one person can sit on it. The problem with Christianity is that too many of us are sitting on the throne of our hearts. We serve ourselves. We are too comfortable in our lives. The truth is, we are too content to come to church on Sunday, sing some songs, listen to a message, and then go home and live however we want all week. The problem is that Jesus says if we want to call ourselves Christians, then we must take up a cross and follow him. The life of Christianity is a life of sacrifice, and we have forgotten that. It's a life of service. And that looks different for every person. Sacrifice doesn't necessarily mean suffering. It simply means that if Jesus is asking for something, we give it up. It most certainly means putting him before everything else. And this is something that all of us can do better in. I know that I can. The real problem is we're American. We all live a life of have it your way. We're Burger King Christians. American society has become a society of instant gratification. I mean, I used to think it was ridiculous that you could order a pizza online and have it delivered to your house. You didn't even have to pick up the phone and call anyone. I mean, that, that'd be too exhausting. <laughs> now there's an app that allows you to order anything as far as food goes and have it delivered to you wherever you want. I mean, you're in the park and you have a sudden craving for a Big Mac and you can open up that app, order it, and someone will bring it to you. 
The same goes for our entertainment. You can borrow books on Kindle from the library. That was the coolest thing for me. My my in-laws bought me a Kindle Fire for Christmas, and uh, it was a very nice gift. And, I, and, and when I figured out that I could borrow library books, and I wouldn't even have to go to the library anymore, that's a dangerous thing for someone like me. I mean, if you want to watch a TV show from almost any decade, there's so many options now that you don't have to look long to find it between Netflix, Hulu, Sling, Tubi TV, whatever. And all of our society is like this. This is how we've begun to look at our spirituality as well, though. And that's what's dangerous. We pick and choose what to believe, what not to believe about Christianity. We pick and choose what parts of the Bible apply to us and what don't. Really, what so many of us do is whatever we want. As long as it isn't too bad. We drink. We just don't get drunk. We curse, but we don't use the F word. We fool around outside of marriage, but we really love each other. We watch things that we shouldn't, but hey, we're not looking at porn. Susanna Wesley, mother of John Wesley, once said, Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sight of God, decreases your thirst for spiritual things, or increases the authority of your body over your mind, then that thing to you is evil. By this, you may detect evil no matter how subtle or how plausible temptation may be presented to you. In other words, I'll dumb it down for all of us. Blanket statement. If we feel the need to justify what we are doing, no matter what it is, it's probably sin, and we should probably stop, and we probably already know that. And so that was Judas's first offer, to give in to what he wanted and to turn his back on Jesus. It would be easy. And not only would it be easy, he'd be paid for it. And the same is true for us. It's easy to feed our flesh. We just follow our desires. Don't fight. But Jesus made another offer. Again, if you're following along... Go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is a very familiar passage for all of us. Start in verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close to Jesus, and Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus replied, he's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What you're doing, 
do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, many thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left, and it was night. See, this is actually a really beautiful picture. See, they're celebrating Passover here, and they're they're they they're eating a seder meal, and they've gotten to a certain part of the seder called the koric, and the koric involves making little sandwiches, more or less, is what they are, out of the herbs and stuff that are at the table, and the first little sandwich when it's dipped. It's uh, it's actually the job of the host or or um, the the leader of the seder, whoever that may be, to pass that first one to somebody that he chooses, and it's always supposed to be given to someone who's very special, who the host loves very much. Normally, that's given to a child that's very dear to the host. But what Jesus does is he gives it to Judas. So really, in doing that, what Jesus was telling Judas was, I love you. You're so precious to me. You don't have to continue doing what you're doing. I have something better for you. And so sitting there at the dinner... Judas is faced with his two options, his two choices. He could continue on the path he had chosen. It was easy. All he'd do is walk out of the room, walk away from Jesus, and he'd find some comfort in the world. The 30 pieces of silver. Or he could continue on with Jesus, trusting him to lead him into a very uncertain future. The problem was, he couldn't do both. Just like us, he had to make a decision. And we know, we know what decision Judas made. He went after the world. And we also know it didn't bring him any sort of happiness. In the end, he found that whatever allure the silver had held for him, it turned to bitterness and ashes. And we all know the guilt of it, the guilt of his decision, drove him to suicide. While I have not found myself ever in my life suicidal, I know that my days outside of the church, they never brought me any happiness. And most people that I have known that have walked away from the church, some that are still outside the church, they never find any real happiness. It's all temporary little pleasures that they get excited about, but it just never seems to satisfy. Never really content. This is all so shallow. What would have happened if Judas had accepted Jesus' offer? I mean, if you look at the account of the Last Supper, you see that All the disciples asked if they'd be the one to betray Jesus. 
they were all wondering, you know, Jesus, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Um, it didn't have to be Judas. And if you look where what we just read, none of them suspected it was him at the time. It didn't have to be him. They thought he was going out to buy something or to give money to the poor. That's how much they trusted him. I mean, we know that Peter, this same night, he was going to deny Jesus three times. And he was so adamant that he was cursing. We know that Thomas, he'd leave this dinner. And when all of them fled, when Jesus is arrested, Thomas is the last one to come back. He doesn't come back until Jesus has been arisen for quite a little while. It didn't have to be Judas. I mean, Jesus' offer was real. And in fact, Judas could have stayed with Jesus. And very likely, another one of his disciples would have become the betrayer. Obviously, they all had it in themselves to betray. Otherwise, none of them would have been asking if it was them. The same offer is open to us right now. And I trust that God has put his finger on something in every one of our lives. Because there's always room to draw closer to God. There's something between you and a complete walk with God. And whatever that is, I urge you to surrender it to him. This is the moment. Right now. The two offers are before you. What's it going to be? Some temporary payout, temporary pleasure, or a right relationship with God. Because you can't have both. We cannot continue as a church the way that we are. The world is slipping away. People are dying and going to an eternal hell. And we as a church are complicit in it if all we do is fill pews on Sunday mornings. If we're not engaging them for God, then we're condemning them to the devil. One last thing, and this episode will be over. We as Christians must grow in Christ. We cannot harbor sin in our lives. In harboring sin, we feed our sin nature. And if this continues, there comes a point where we become carnal. I'm not making threats. I'm not condemning anybody. But when you become carnal, you fall out of fellowship with God. He stops talking to you. He stops guiding you. He stops protecting you. Because you wander out of his will and way. And you're off on your own on an island. If there's a spiritual deadness in you, 
I'd be willing to bet that that's the reason why. And I'm sure that you know what that is. I've been there myself. So this isn't a judgment thing. But the only way to correct that, to come back into his grace, into his way, is by confessing that, repenting of it, and surrendering it to him. We need to inspect our hearts and see where we stand with God. And if there's anything that God is pointing out in our lives, we need to take the time to make it right. We don't want to be Judas. We don't want to be that. Then we need to come back to God. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Bible Chat. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that maybe we see Judas in a different light and and see how we have that same possibility in our own lives. I'll be posting my recommendation for a book this week uh, later on this morning, and uh, if you any of you you know want to follow along on Facebook, that'd be great. Um, just go on Facebook and search for Bible Chat. You should be able to find our page. Like I said, we're pushing 100 followers right now. And I really do try to post something every day, whether it's news or, or like I said, my book recommendations or different quotes to just kind of get us thinking. Um, also, you can, if you, I'm really looking for input, guys. Like I said, there's a, there's a great little following on Facebook, but I'm still not getting a lot of feedback. So whether you enjoy the show or completely hate the show, you know what? At this point in time, I'll take any sort of feedback. I'd just love to hear from you guys. Um, also, ideas for topics, anything like that, are always welcome. I really want this to be an interactive community. So shoot me an email. Get me on Facebook. My email is BibleChatPodcast84 at gmail.com. And again, there is we are on Patreon as well. Just go to Patreon and search. And you should be able to find us at Bible Chat Podcast. Anyway, I hope you guys have a great week. I'll be looking forward to posting another episode next week. Um, if there is a delay, just know it's because I have a new class starting up this week, actually. And if I get a little bit buried in the work, it may be a week or two. I'm hoping to continue on the weekly uh, uploads, but just be aware that there's a possibility. But anyway, until next week. I'm Caleb Sowers, and this is Bible Chat.